Welcome to Vinyasa in Verse, the podcast where we connect mind, body, and spirit through poetry and practice. I'm Leslie Ann Hobayan. Together, we'll explore different ways of connecting with our innermost selves and how to tap into the flow of the universe. Because once that happens, anything is possible. Your best life starts now. Hello, loves. Welcome to another episode of Vinyasa in Verse. How are you on this beautiful day? I hope wherever you are, you're able to enjoy a moment of a cleansing breath, a moment of peace, because all we have is right here, right now. Be still just for a moment. And so to start our episode today, I've got the book, The Gift by Hafiz, our great Sufi mystic poet who always kicks off our episodes. And today's random selection is called Don't Die Again. I am a man who knows the 10,000 positions of divine love. I can tell by the light in your eyes that you are still most familiar with the few earthly ones. But would not a good father instruct all his heirs toward that path that will someday deeply satisfy? This world is a treacherous place and will surely slay and drown the lazy. The only life raft here is love and the name. Say it, brother. Say it, sister. Oh, say the divine name silently as you walk. Don't die again with that holy ruby mine inside, still unclaimed, when you could be swinging a golden pick with each step. What another great poem. And so the ones, the images, the lines that stick out for me today uh, is the only life raft here is love and the name. And previous to that, the, the line goes, this world is a treacherous place. And so what does that feel like right now? It feels like a treacherous place, particularly for folks of color. Um, as we make this work, do this work towards creating a society that is anti-racist, being proactive in our anti-racist work and finding ways in which we can amplify the voices that have been muted for so long. But it's not easy work and it is dangerous, it's treacherous. But what I love here is that there is a life raft available to us. So I'm imagining an ocean in a storm where the waves are really rough. But as long as we have this raft of love and the name, the word name is capitalized. And so the name is the beloved, the divine, the universe, God, whatever feels good for you. That is the name that will lift us up above the stormy waters with this raft of love. And so I just, I just keep thinking about this idea of how love can save us. Um, and love always begins with ourselves. And that's easier said than done. And I'm sure many of us have heard, you know, you got to love yourself before you can love others. And I know that before um, I really found 
true self-love, I thought to myself, oh, I know how to love. I mean, I, I love my parents. I love my family members, you know, my siblings. I love my dog. I love, you know, when I was a kid, you know, I would think about, you know, I love my friends. Um, in college, I love my boyfriend, you know, whatever it is. But true feelings of love don't feel like that. Um, you may have an affection for somebody. You may have a lust for somebody. You may have a feeling of attachment to somebody. But love is experienced at a deeper level. It's experienced deep in the center of your body. Maybe it's down deep, deep, deep in your belly, deep in the chest. You experience it from that deepest point. And the body opens with that love. When you feel love, you feel your body really open up. And I know, you know, for a lot of us, when we first meet someone, you know, that maybe we're romantically interested in and, you know, you've got this early stages of infatuation, that's the only thing you can do is think about that person, you know, talk about that person, wondering what that person is doing. And, and so that could be the beginning sensations of what love is. But love really, really is something that lives deep within us and is sustainable no matter what the changes are. So um, it's important to start with the self-love because that is the basis for any love that we might have for others. And how do we get there? You know, a lot of us might think, and I know I, I'm guilty of this. I thought that I had self-love. You know, I was like, yeah, I totally accept myself for who I am. You know, I'm a little goofy or whatever. Um, I think about how in, in college, in high school years, even in my 20s, you know, I was not satisfied with how my body appeared. Um, not that uh, there was anything wrong with my body. It was just I had these perceptions that my body wasn't good enough. Um, because of what I had seen in magazines and the media, you know, these, these really slim women, tall women, you know, I'm, I'm five, two and three quarters, if we want to be exact, <laughs> but I might've shrunken since then. I don't know. Um, let's say I'm like five, two, five, three, right? So I'm not, I'm not that tall, but there is this idea of, you know, height being the quote unquote, perfect height. Um, and you know, I wasn't, I wasn't happy with being what they consider short. I mean, the, the nice way of saying short was petite, right? And so I would shop in the petite section so I could make sure that the pants fit right. Um, but I wasn't happy, fully happy with, with my body. And it's, it's funny though, because I kept telling myself, I have self-love, I love myself, but you know, maybe I could work out a little bit more. Maybe I could get a little stronger. Maybe I could use that little jiggly tummy, you know, that I have or the thighs that wiggle when I walk, which is totally ridiculous, you know, thinking about it from where I am now. And, you know, everybody's thighs jiggle when they walk. It's called muscle. <laughs> the muscle contracting, you know, and, and releasing as you move that leg forward. I mean, really, if, uh, if we want to talk about muscle engagement, 
when you're walking, and I learned this from my bodywork practitioner, Grant, uh, Grant Clark. He uh, he's with Hidden Warrior Yoga, so he gets a little plug for free. Um, hey, Grant. And um, he taught me that when we walk, we really should be walking from our glutes because that is the biggest muscle group in our body. And we as human beings don't use it enough. And so that's how we come up with these um, injuries. But I digress. I'm talking about body image and self-image and how that relates to self-love and how when we don't love our bodies, we don't love the image of our bodies that feeds into this story that we've created of not being enough. So there's one part of the, of the love. But then there's the part about um, what we know and what we don't know in terms of, you know, teaching somebody. Um, I'm a teacher, and I know that when I first started teaching, I was thinking to myself, oh, my God, how am I supposed to teach my students when they're practically my age. You know, when I graduated from graduate school, my first teaching job was um, at a university, a local university. And I want to say the students were not much younger than me. I was, um, how old was I? I was 20, hmm, 25 when I started teaching. And I had students who were, you know, 21, 22, depending if they were seniors in college. And I felt very insecure about teaching because I was thinking to myself, you know, what are they going to learn from me? What do they know? And not really realizing, you know what, I went to graduate school and I learned some stuff, you know, and, and yeah, I only have a few years on them, but in those years I did learn something that I can indeed pass on to them and teach them. And I just wish I had been aware of that or someone had told me that back then. I'm learning that now, of course, but back then that is, is... A, continua- a continuation of this storyline of, of not being enough, um, you know, and that's in, in, the, in the professional field. As a poet, I thought that I wrote, you know, pretty good poems, but didn't think it was good enough for publication, that all my friends had really amazing poems and mine were not so great. You know, it was, it's this whole curse of comparison. You know, we call it comparisonitis. And that doesn't feed us at all. If anything, it it just reinforces this story of not enoughness. And so with my poetry, um, I looked around and I saw my friends getting published, you know, poems getting published. Some of them got books published. And I was thinking to myself, you know, when's that going to be me? You know, when am I going to do that? Because I'm submitting and, but I don't, I don't think my poems are that great, but I'm submitting anyway, because Statistically, the more you submit, the better chance you have of getting published. Uh, Not realizing that what was really happening beneath the surface was that I was undermining the energy of those poems by thinking they weren't enough, by thinking that I could make them better, but I didn't know how yet. And so they would never be better because I wasn't good enough in learning how to shape these poems. And so you see how the story of not being enough just gets reinforced over and over and over again. And I didn't realize that I was doing this until I came to spiritual practices, not just yoga, but um, I had done some spiritual work with uh, my friend Erika Martinez. Hey, Erika. 
we would talk every week and we would look and read spiritual books together and explore uh, the law of attraction, uh, manifestation, mindset, all these things. And it didn't occur to me that what I was doing there in the spiritual world, the box of my life, you know, I tend to compartmentalize things and I'm sure most of us do that. So in one box, I've got the spiritual work that I'm doing. In the other box, I've got the poetry work. I never thought to connect them. I never thought that one was actually informing the other um, or not because I kept them separate. And so with the poetry, I didn't see that I was constantly saying I wasn't enough. I was looking outwardly for affirmation for someone to tell me that yes these are amazing poems yes they're so good I can't believe you wrote this yes you are awesome I kept looking outward for someone to validate me for someone to tell me that yes I'm a good enough poet or yes I'm a good enough creative writing professor um, and so that happened for a really long time and only recently have I come to understand this story that I've been telling myself? Only now, and when I say recently, I want to say it's probably in the last five years where I've started to notice the repetition of the story of you are not enough. When, you know, after at that point, 10 years of doing spiritual work, didn't realize that I was having these conversations with myself of, of the story of not enoughness. Uh, and so once I started this work and realized that not being enough was really damaging to me, I started to pay attention to the patterns. I started to ask myself, is that true? Is it true that you're not enough? Who says, according to whom are you not enough? Like, you know, and do you need other people to tell you whether or not you're good enough? And so as I did this inner work, uh, I also was practicing Kundalini Yoga. And this is around the time that I, I first came across it and then inevitably went through teacher training and, and that transformed my life in ways that I'm still um, noticing and in, in ways that's, that are still unfolding. And what I did begin to work on was to undo these stories through meditation, through journaling, through kundalini yoga practices. There, there are certain exercises that help to detox the system, help to balance the nervous system, um, help tune in to the universal energies. And, and so as I was doing this work, what happened was that I ended up breaking down um in in all ways uh you know at one point i i had uh, come down with the flu but i i to this day i swear that it was more than that um when i got tested for it you know he told me the doctor told me it was the flu i don't know one of the strains either a or b i didn't even know that they had letters <laughs> but um but it was a very debilitating experience where i was in bed for 12 days you know, I did not leave my room. It was very painful to get up to go to the bathroom. I was in bed for 12 days with really sharp bone pain. 
um, I didn't even know where it was coming from. It was the only escape was sleep. And then my dreams were really vivid and terrifying. Um, so as I, as I continue to do my inner work and my spiritual work, and I look back on that moment, I wonder if that was some experience of the dark night of the soul or some beginnings of a Kundalini awakening. There's so many different traditions that speak about our experiences as um, we evolve as spirits in uh, human experience. Um, and so after that, then I started to really pay attention to the things that I was telling myself and the ways that I interacted with people and wondered, you know, can I give myself permission to do the thing that I wanted to do? Can I give myself permission to be the kick-ass poet that I want to be? Like, can I just be it? Can I just say, yes, I'm a kick-ass poet and I'm going to write some poems and I'm going to send them out. And if they don't get accepted for publication, that doesn't mean anything. That doesn't mean that I'm a bad poet. That doesn't mean that I should quit. That doesn't mean that the poems are bad. It just means that they're not taking it at that time. Because if you think about it in terms of the publication process, it's something that's done by human beings who are in constant flux of moods. You know, maybe my poem was read by somebody who had a death in the family and they're totally grief stricken and the last thing they want to read is a happy poem. Or, um, you know, they got on the wrong, off, got up on the wrong side of the bed. Or maybe they found all the poems they needed and filled their quota and my poem got to them too late. You know, there's so many different factors that we are not aware of that we're not even in control of. And so why do we make certain things mean something when nothing, everything is neutral? Um, so I started to figure this out where certain results don't mean anything. We're the ones who decide what meaning it gets. We have the power to decide, hey, you know what, this poem didn't get accepted for publication, so just send it out to another one, because it just means that's not the home for that poem. It doesn't mean you're a bad poet. It just means maybe that's not the place to share it. So as I w work through this stuff, I've become more and more confident in understanding that we have choices over how we experience the world. Um, and we can decide who we're going to be and how we're going to be it. Because when it comes down to it, our life experiences are dependent on these two choices. Who are you being? You know, and when I say being, it's not about like doing something to prove who you are. You know, like if I'm going to say like, I am being a poet, I am a poet. It doesn't necessarily mean right then and there that I need to be writing a poem just to prove to everybody that I'm a poet. It's more, how am I embodying that decision? How am I embodying this, this choice to be a poet? You know, what does that poet look like? Does she dress a certain way? Does she talk a certain way? Does she have a certain perfume? You know, it could just be a whole bunch of different things. Does she wear makeup or not? Does she always have a pen behind her ear? I mean, these are not things I necessarily have, although a pen behind the ear sounds kind of fun. Maybe I should try that. But it is about who you are being. You know, if I decide today that I am being a bold leader for my membership community, you know, I have this membership community called Empowered Empaths. 
And I'm a leader for this group, for these, these people who have come together in community. What does that look like? What does that mean? If I am being a bold leader, what does that look like for me? Does it look like that I am living my life out loud in ways that they are watching me be bold? Is it me inviting them to step out of their comfort zone and express what they might feel is bold for them? Is it me making decisions about how to run a business in ways that go against conventional tradition? It's a lot of, a lot of things to consider, but for me, it's about intuition and it's about self-trust. It's about knowing that I already am that. And so what are the decisions to take? What are the actions to take from that embodiment? You know, so for example, um, let's say I'm a dog trainer and I don't have any clients yet, but I want to train a dog, right? What are some things that I can do that help me embody being a dog trainer? You know, maybe I'm wearing clothing that's comfortable, you know, because I got to jump up and, and be on top of it if, if, I, if I have an active dog. You know, maybe I go and, and buy some of those little treats, reward treats for training. And I put them in my pocket. Maybe I've got, you know, poo-poo bags nearby. I got a leash nearby. I got a space set up for the training. This is how you get ready. This is how you embody the thing you want to be already in the now. And so circling back to self-love, that is part of the work. You know, you love yourself enough to know that whoever you are being is enough. That the choices you make, if you do it from the heart rather than the mind, those choices are in alignment with who you're being. If you make choices from the mind, often that comes from ego. And sometimes those choices are not the best. You know, sometimes those choices are not in alignment with who you're being. So it really is about listening to your heart and going within and asking yourself, all right, I'm going to decide that I am a bold leader for my dynamic membership community of empowered empaths. And so for those of you that don't know, um, I have a community of folks who are identify as empaths and highly sensitive people. And we come together in community and what we do is we practice yoga together. We have sacred healing circles. Uh, I give them an empath task list that they complete during the month where uh, these little practices help to peel away some of the the hesitations, some of the not enoughness uh, and invite them to step into their power. Invite them to practice small movements towards understanding that our power is within us. And so as a leader, what does that look like for me? Sometimes it's, you know, just as simple as putting on sparkle eyeshadow. (laughs) But it all comes from this place of 
an open heart, this place of self-love, because I know I am enough and I know that I am enough that I can lead the folks in my community in a way that allows for them to step into their power, for them to embrace their own self-love, for them to really come into their own. Because I'm not interested in telling people what to do and be like, okay, here's a prescription of the five steps you need to do in order to be awesome, in order to be an empowered empath. No, 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 no. Because when you tell people what to do, you are actually not empowering them. It's important to invite people into a choice to say, here's something you might want to try. If you are interested, give it a shot. If not, that's okay. But the curiosity might be enough to encourage you to test it out because you know what it's like to stay where you are. Do you know what it's like to try this other option? And if you don't like that other option, you can always come back to how things were. It's all about experimentation and self-trust and creating the sense of self-love. And so that is, uh, that's what I've been thinking about for this week uh, as we continue to go through lots of shifts. Now that the initial intense energy of the work we're doing for racial justice, social justice, now that that energy is sort of diminished, now it's time to do the real work. Now that it's quiet, it's time to do the real inner work, to do the work with others, and to trust that whatever we're doing, it's enough, and that we just keep going. You know, a lot of people are hesitant to have uncomfortable conversations, but it's enough to show up and to admit that we don't know it all and to admit like, okay, here's my intention because intention is everything. Here's my intention. I don't know how to articulate it, but I want to work with you in trying to figure out how we can work together towards a better understanding, towards manifesting that intention, whatever it might be. Um, and so, yeah, so trust that you are enough, that whoever you are being is a choice how you are being is also a choice. And so I invite you to practice that this week, to be aware of these questions and to ask yourself, who am I being? How am I being? And maybe ask or check in with this idea of self-love. <sighs> All right, my friends. Well, it's time for me to go and uh, to close out the episode for today. I've got a poem by Rumi. It's called Polishing the Mirror. And now some of us might be familiar with this idea of polishing the mirror. Um, so here's a poem that we can ponder on. Polishing the Mirror. When Abu Baker met Muhammad, he said, this is not a face that lies. Abu Bakr was one of those who bowl, whose bowl has fallen from the roof. There's no hiding the fragrance that comes from an ecstatic. A polished mirror cannot help reflecting. 
Muhammad once was talking to a crowd of chieftains, princes with great influence, when a poor blind man interrupted him. Muhammad frowned and said to the man, Let me attend to these visitors. This is a rare chance, whereas you are already my friend. We'll have ample time. Then someone nearby said, That blind man may be worth a hundred kings. Remember the proverb, Human beings are minds. World power means nothing. Only the unsayable, jeweled inner life matters. Muhammad replied, Do not think that I'm concerned with being acknowledged by these authorities. If a beetle moves toward rosewater, it proves that the solution is diluted. Beetles love dung, not rose essence. If a coin is eager to be tested by the touchstone, that coin itself may be a touchstone. A thief loves the night. I am day. I reveal essences. A calf thinks God is a cow. A donkey's theology changes when someone new pets it and gives it what it wants. I am not a cow or thistles for camels to browse on. People who insult me are only polishing the mirror. <sighs> Something for you to all think about this week. And to close the episode, as always, the divine light in me bows to the divine light in you. Until next time, namaste. Most of us know the benefits of yoga and meditation. It helps to alleviate stress, strengthen our bodies, clear our minds, and nurture our spirits. Unfortunately, for people of color in the U.S., we are often sent the message that this kind of practice is not for us, that yoga is reserved for white, flexible bodies. This class is not that. Starting this Sunday at 5.30 p.m. at Onyx Yoga Studio in Warren, New Jersey, I'll be offering a weekly class both online and in person just for blacks, indigenous, and people of color to experience the support and healing that yoga can provide. It is a safe space created specifically for us. So come, bring your hurts and your burdens, begin the road towards healing. Live your best life now.